Good morning, everyone. This is Kathy Mason from MasonWorks Marketing here on Conscious Business Zone with my friend, Kimberly Braun. Hi, Kimberly. Oh, hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to be with you, and I always am. Um, Kimberly is a minister, a Reiki master, an author and poet, which we'll talk about today, a meditation coach, and she's been an incredible teacher at, at prestigious spiritual uh, places, and she was a nun, so which we definitely got to find out about that, right? So, <laughs> but the thing she doesn't have on her resume is she's a miraculous cook. I mean, unbelievable <laughs> chef, and I get to go have dinner with her again. I get, I usually get twice a year. There's um, some event that I get to eat with, with uh, Kimberly and then her birthday. Of course we did your birthday, but yeah. anyway, <laughs> but uh, anyway, she's a woman of many talents and very, um, um, what, what I love about Kimberly is the love that she shares is palpable to me. I mean, not everyone can share their light and illuminate a room the way you can. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and and I recognize it, and I and everyone receives it the way they receive it. But wow, you can put it out like a lighthouse, man. So, <laughs> just want to compliment you on that. So. Today, we're talking about how to lead a miraculous life and have miraculous impact, which, yes, how? <laughs> I know that's, that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because that word itself, miraculous, seems to point towards something outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we like, we, we, we relish when something is miraculous that happens. And I love being in the field and in service to help us discover that our very life is meant and our essential nature is set up for us to live miraculously. And by virtue of saying yes to that, then our impact in the world comes from this place that is innocent and penetrating and life-giving and miraculous. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's it's a very dramatic postulation, but I think we are meant for nothing less than this. Oh, beautiful. So can, can you share with everyone um, your experience that got you to this knowing? Because you're you're, you did undergraduate studies in ministry, so you have degrees in it, but then you went, you actually helped build a giant, uh, <laughs> okay, you tell it, uh, I'll mess it up. Right, but, right. But, but I mean, seriously, you have, you don't have fear of a challenge. You have a curiosity and a trust that whatever's delivered to you, you seem to be able to to do. And most people out here don't have that. So what's the secret? Right, right. Uh, so thank you. That's very affirming for you to say. And most of my ministry formation, my grad work, I, I tested out of my undergrad, which is another miracle. It was freely offered to me. So my grad work and my seminary training actually came post-monastery. Oh. But I believe that what has been illuminating for me have come from my experiences of being oriented towards the ineffable and the eternal in all things. So not just the ineffable and the eternal as it is beyond us. That is implicit in the imminence. So we have these contrasting ideas when it comes to um, these ideas of, of God, of source, of spirit. And some of them we have assumptions around transcendence. And some of them we have assumptions around imminence. And that gets us into these dividing statements around this. 
In fact, even even putting words like matter and spirit seems to say that they are two different things. And I was blessed when I was really little to have experiences of the ineffable in the fiber of my life, in the fiber of creation, and in the elements of me. Now, I said yes to all these things because they made me so happy as a little girl. But it stoked my curiosity to the adventure of what that is. And I think the best word that could be used here is the word embodiment of consciousness. Mm. And I wouldn't say that I had a, a full out comprehensive nuanced grasp of that at five years old when my experiences started. But I had the seeds for it that set up my orientation so that my questions have always been about that. Mm. So my gift there is that that's not unique. That doesn't, that makes me unique as my own individual, but that's not special to me because the experience showed me and all my experiences have shown me that the elements that I discover within myself of this potentiality, this raw creative potentiality that's of source, that leads us to have desires, that lead us to manifest and want to pour ourselves out as love in the world or manifest something wonderful, that that is the makeup of all of us. That's not just the makeup of a few. And it's not, the question isn't whether we are called to that life. The question is more, how are we called to that life? paths are very unique. Not everybody's called to join a monastery. And I joined because I was on fire with love for God. And I joined with this wholehearted surrender into the process. And I truly thought, Kathy, I truly thought that I'd be there for the rest of my life. And that my life would be an exploration of this consciousness throughout creation in silence and chant and meditation. And what what the path was, was it was that and. And the and came when I had the inspiration, the direct hearing, build the permanent monastery. That was a, a big pivot point for me, even though I wouldn't have noted it as such, because it started a new form of the same thing for me. I was already living in this cosmic embrace this cosmic service in the world, this cosmic opening up to love that I could embody love. I was already in that path and I still am on that spectrum of growing in that path. But the new form in Build the Permanent Monastery, I had no idea when I said yes to that I was going to be the general contractor. Okay, so can can you tell people how young you were and what your experience was? <laughs> 29 years old. 29 years old, I had just, so talk about like, you know, you know, when we give our yeses in life, we have no idea what's actually going to happen. I think you could probably say the same, right? You get inspired, you give this yes, and you're like, holy crap, I didn't know I was saying yes to that. <laughs> That's like daily, like, what was I thinking? But you just know that somehow the energy and the synchronicities and everything you need is going to happen. But but in your early 20s, you think you've got it all figured out. And then as you get past 25, 26, 27, it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, there's lots of things I don't know. And then as you get older, you know you don't know anything. Yeah, you don't so. know. <laughs> right, right. That's a really wonderful. But, but if you could tell a big story, give a little more of that, that scenario, because it's remarkable what you did. It is really amazing. And I think what is an incredible, it's almost like a cosmic joke is I had just taken solemn vows. So I had just said vows for life to being a Carmelite nun. And I was in the bliss and the ecstasy of that. And I had said yes to joining a small community that was a, a daughter community to the mother house in North Dakota. 
And I said yes to joining them. And they were four women who were between 20 and 30 years older than me. So they really needed youth and young zeal and, you know, a, a bit of a, a workforce and they needed the community to grow. And when I said yes to that, I went down there and about a year into being down there, uh, I was finding that I was really longing for the silence that I had in North Dakota. We did the best we could in Texas to have silence, but our community loved us so much and we were so small, we were in a converted house, that there was a lot of activity and the house didn't have any rural boundaries. And this isn't to say anything of the people who loved us because we loved them so much, but we had to mitigate our lifestyle to have a lot less silence and a lot less of protected rhythm or protection for the rhythm. And I found myself butting up against that. And I, I had largely accepted, but every once in a while, a little resistance would come up in me because I yearned for this solitude and silence. And one day when that yearning came real strong, I went out back and went into the backyard for my meditation. And it had to have been spring because there were yellow wildflowers that were literally as high as my waist. And I waded out into these wildflowers and I just sunk into silence. And that yearning just exploded within me. That human yearning was actually a divine yearning because as it exploded, literally I heard the divine say, build the permanent monastery. And in a mysterious way that answered my yearning. Right there is a whole life lesson of how divine our desires are. If we let go of our ideas around the desires, how they're meant to be fulfilled, what they're meant to look like. If we just are vulnerable and humble and say, this is my raw desire. Well, I gave this big yes to it, but I made an assumption. And when I heard build the permanent monastery, I really thought, okay, it's time. We as a community are gonna build our monastery, period. I just thought I was part of the mix. I had no idea that literally step by step by step, and it's outlined in this book, this evolution and this call and this answer, literally I was called in to the role of building it. We okay. were donated 640 acres of land. And every time I spoke about the project, everybody just was brimming to be a part of it because they were infected by the spirit. My words were so laden with spirit, so pregnant that people were coming out of the woodwork to be involved with the project. And I found myself with the capacity to know how to talk with engineers, to know how to talk about underground requirements, to know how to read shop drawings, to know how to draw shop drawings. I had been downloaded with the capacity to be a semi-architect, to be a project manager, to be a fundraiser. And they built, of course, upon my, my human skills that have translated in my life a lot of ways, but they were also very specific to this call. And so I, I learned that within us are these seeds of potentiality that if we would just give way a little more, a little more into the unknown. Now, I like to kind of throw myself into the unknown just because that's my personality. I'm in Aries and, you know, I just like to go take me, you know. <laughs> but even incremental steps can open up horizons of fulfillment by leading a life that's aligned that we have no idea what's prepared for us. We have no idea what's in store for us. And this project is an example because I met with a lot of challenges as well on a lot of levels. And I tell them in here not to lay out the challenge for its own sake, but to show that when we're really aligned and in the juice of our flow, when we are in the eternal flow, everything is light. And it was undeniable. I was handling this project with ease, with so much ease and grace, so much ease. It never became heavy. It never became hard. 
even amidst any challenging, and some of them were very heart crushing for me, it never became hard. That is a testament to being aligned. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be pain or a moment of suffering or challenge or loss, but it means amidst it, we are continuing in this <clears throat> sustainable, uh, effortless, resourcedness place that's right within us. Wow. So, so you're in your late 20s and you get the download, build it, they will come <laughs> kind of thing. Build it and, and we will have a permanent home. And you, everything starts to fall into place that, that you get the excitement and the joy of doing the jobs that you're called to do. How about the other people around you? What was their role or how did they just let you be the leader and let you take the reins or was there, was there any um, politics to it? Uh, and you mean in my community or uh -huh. outside my community? You know, it's so interesting about that. And that's, there were moments of confusion for me but not in a way that confused about my role, more the confusion of wanting it to be acknowledged for the sake of um, health and support and wholeness. What happened was interesting. We did not sit down as a community and look at the project and say, okay, how do we want to go about this? That would have been the healthy thing to do, right? right. To sit down as a group of women and say, okay, this is coming to us. Sister Annunciata seems to have natural gifts. Should she be the lead? How do we want to do this? Because I wasn't the leader in the community. What happened were influences of old hierarchy and influences of new possibility were operative at the same way, in addition to humanity playing its part. So the leader in the community was so happy to not be in North Dakota and so happy to be in this other community and so happy to be in charge and be able to feel a sense of freedom with her spirituality and her ideas. So in that way, we were a little non-traditional. But alongside that, I discovered, and you'll read in the book, that she actually was still very hierarchical because every time I asked for dialogue, and I made assumptions we would dialogue. I mean, I was a new solemn nun, meaning that I had not had any experience of solemn professed life. And I made an assumption that once you're out of boot camp, once you're out of formation, that things are a little more human, that you, you have more conversations around big decisions. And I was wrong. She said, no, we don't talk about those things. We're not going to have roundtable discussions. We're not going to do this. We don't do, her, her mantra was, we don't do this in Carmel. So... Wow. I had the jolt of, as a young nun, navigating that. And that's its own beauty as well, because as young individuals, and I'm not the only one, and especially the generations coming up are so filled with so much light and inquiry and curiosity and so much willingness to step away from structure. Oftentimes we don't support our youth in the, insight that they bring that be, just because they're youth they don't have a voice at the table and that i think is a big need for us to change as a as a humanity but that's what i was in and i was like wow so here i am happen chancing into this role i assumed she would be the lead on the project but it was clear right out the gate that i had the capacity and she didn't wow overlay with that she was suffering from depression so we have you have some nuances in the story if you read it of the impact of what she was going through that played out in the whole story of it all so it was almost like i was saying yes to spirit and the heavenly council and all my angels and guys like they're all on board it's like yes let's go team and then everybody i was working with could see that I was the lead on the project and there was wholesomeness and friendliness and, and acknowledgement and mutual support. There was, but in my community, it was almost like a, it felt a little covert. 
<laughs> right, because I'm doing it all. But then she was the spokesperson in the community for it. And some things you could see were undeniable. It was clear when, when I was on the monastery project every day, it became clear I was running things, but she still put herself as the spokesperson of it, which deprived our community from a level of intimacy that would have let us all feel like we were a valuable part. Mm -hmm. so the collective hierarchical tendrils were influencing us but then there was enough innovation that I was given the freedom. I was given this blank canvas just by virtue of it happening that gave me a, a lot of latitude. Ah. So you've got a mix of a lot of things and then play into that. Some are excited, some are jealous, some are, you know, you, you get the whole human response to wow. what happened. Wow. So I, I can understand this. This is really a lesson in leadership in in a lot of ways because the servant leader like you were taking the role of the servant leader and allowing um, the community to build the church um and coordinating everything that needed to be done but then your infrastructure didn't really have a servant leader uh, it's it's very fascinating right Right. It didn't. And so that's where you naturally, you had this conflict butting up. And I think that unknown to me at the time, like uh, I, I, I was really clear because I was so guided by spirit. So there was a lot of clarity. Uh, but in that, that clarity drove me into a lot of moments where I had to really wrestle with my truth. So if I had had the, what I wanted, which was just to be an anonymous Carmelite nun, I really just wanted to be in the fiber of humanity. <laughs> I really wanted to be unknown, unseen, not because of low self-worth, but because I felt that was a real position of freedom. In being deprived of that for all its mysterious reasons, it forced me. It forced me into these very conundrums. It forced me into having to wrestle with my truth about things. What's okay, what's not okay. And I would say that if if my biggest, I would say probably one of my biggest gaps in that moment was that my formation did not leave me with a lot of strength in self-advocacy. Mm -hmm. So things now out in the professional world that our natural, understandable, professional expectations didn't exist in monastic life. And I hadn't been formed to have that skillfulness. And so while I was navigating all of these things, there were moments when it would have been understandable to expect understanding or respect or support or kindness. And those things weren't given to me. And the only way I could have introduced them if I had would have been for me to be my my own advocate. And that was contrary to my found my formation. Right. And and so with that, I had to wrestle with that. In, in the book, there's a passage where I go, Well, if my formation has led me in this moment, instead of being free, I'm actually not free. What is that saying about my formation? What is that saying about my response? Mm -hmm. I, I wrestled with that. Those aren't reasons that I left because I was working these things out as a Carmelite. I so loved being in vows. I so loved being a Carmelite. I am so the beloved. I mean, my book of poetry, Beloved Found, is just so a true for my archetypal path. <laughs> <laughs> so I only looked at these things as my growth as a Carmelite, uh, I wouldn't have ever entertained the thought of this is a reason to leave. This is a reason to leave. This is a reason to leave. I start having some doubts of how to navigate things, mm -hmm. but I don't, that doesn't come into the vows piece. It comes into staying in that monastery or not when things get really hard or, but it doesn't come into the vows piece. It doesn't come into my, my calling. And Elements of my calling come out in the third book, which is already written and is, is really very dramatic. You think this story is dramatic. That story is like 
Hold on. Wow. Really dramatic. <laughs> Stay yeah. tuned, you guys. Really go to KimberlyBraun.com. Um, okay, so so what we're talking about is that you have tapped into your own divinity. And my personal life mission is to help as many people wake up to their divinity. So I'm so fascinated on um, now you're in human land um, out in the world. And um, before you were sequestered, and of course, anyone that does spiritual practice in, in a sequestered place can go deeper, longer, because a lot of your needs are met, but, but out here, you, it's real life, um, creating a business, teaching classes. And, and how do you see this, um, the opportunity for others? Because I do believe that's part of your gift is helping others see their own divinity. I, I really, you're modeling it, but your frequency that you, you share with others in group is is poetry it's grace it's it's really it's palpable kimberly for me i'm sensitive so so how do you see that because right now we're going through a time period where so many people um either they're waking up or they're starting to um, examine the rules or the programs. I mean, you to even go into um, ministry or, or go in to um, be sequestered, you went out of the, the program anyway. You, you had already picked that. But for the people that have been in the program of do everything the way your parents did or um, um, please the others rather than yourself and don't be selfish, self-love, self-connection is selfish. I mean, there's so many aspects of all of this that's changing, I think, right now. Do you agree? <clears throat> yeah, I think there's a lot of destruction, a lot of discovery that systems, even systems of perspectives, like what it means to be right. a success. Yes. So I think a, a lot of those, I don't know if all of them, a lot of them are either being destroyed, have been destroyed, are being challenged. So yes. And I think that's why you have, why I'm seeing so many youth say no to almost everything. <laughs> because, you know, but okay. uh, what I love about that saying no to everything, and because I get a lot of questions around, you know, I'm a trained theologian and, and, my, my spiritual formation is very sophisticated and very lifelong. And I do get a lot of questions around like things like atheism and the knowners and the nunners and that. And I'm a big believer. There was, I had a systematics professor in seminary and he said, there's a fine line between a mystic and an atheist. There's a fine line. Oh, I love that. Because oftentimes, if you have a deeper conversation with somebody who claims atheism, usually what they're doing is they're saying no to what something is not. So if you're sold an idea of God, that you know God can't be that, or you're unwilling to say God is that, you're saying no because it falls short. And if something falls short, then in some mysterious way, you're actually saying yes to something of your own being. Mm -hmm. Because to say no is to respond to something within you. Right. And you may not know what you're saying yes to, but you're responding to something. You're being true to yourself. So I do. I, and I think that the path of this, it, it is, we are called to a dynamic life, Period. Nobody's life is mediocre. Nobody's life is ordinary. In fact, the tagline that my publisher suggested for my book is the extraordinary life in every moment. There are many, 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 many ways that we can unearth this for ourselves without giving up our lifestyles. And it's hinged on two things, 
perspectives and practices. Mm -hmm. So I think it is operative for us. The agency is where can I find opportunities to heal, change, and transform my perspectives that limit me or to magnify and illuminate the perspectives that are life-giving within me. Mm-hmm. So there's a positive element, there's a, a reinforcing element, and there's a redirecting element. And what kinds of practices are alive for me? And give your assent into those. Now with that, I think that there, I have found, because I've been now teaching and, and serving now for 23 years out, out in the world, I think there are some key elements. The first is having a consistent daily practice. Mm-hmm. I teach meditation and contemplation, but there are many uh, practices like that mm-hmm. that work the same end. Having a, a spiritual mentor or guide, or uh, I like I'm trained in spiritual direction, but I don't like that word direct. Because even in our training, we recognize that the relationship is a triangle. And you've got spirit and you've got the uh, person that's choosing the session for themselves. And you've got the person at service of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Even though you're a spiritual director, you fade away in that role as you reflect on and help this relationship. Mm -hmm spirit and self. I think that's one of the most powerful ways that you can jumpstart and fast track your, um, your call. I, I agree. I agree. Because I, I, the other thing is, is another in loving service can help you see um, you better than you can see you a lot of times. Because um you, you're talking about um, the path to um, self-realization as God, as connected to God or as God. And our self-talk in most cases uh, is shame, blame. It's, it's not a positive, illuminating self-talk in most cases. Um, we almost have to learn to shut off that. <laughs> behind us. Um, so do you, do you find that as well that, um, uh, that, that the self-talk has to be shifted as part of the practice or is it by focusing towards the divine or towards what you want um, that other falls away? So I think it's a bit of both. Okay. It depends on where the person is in relation to these things. Uh, I, I'm a big banquet person, as you know, yeah. it really translates into my spirituality. So my, my um, inclination is that the more we open up and experience our divinity, the other things begin to be healed. Scripture says, uh, the Christian scripture says, it's love that casts out fear. So the more we experience ourselves as love, the more the fear is going to let down some of its defenses and be healed. However, in that process, as I work with people, because I work a lot of individual and a lot of groups, in that process, sometimes there is need. And that's with being a spiritual mentor. That's where the skillfulness is to approach something directly. Sometimes the trauma in the cells and the heart and the mind and the energy bodies is such that it's calling attention. Yeah. And I think a great example of where we're seeing this is what a contributor Brene Brown is. I mean, she is speaking directly to these wounds, the shame, the deep low self-worth, the guilt, how much it's a deep, individual and collective wound. Our Western culture in particular is deeply wounded by this. So there are times and there are ways that we can approach these things. My online courses are really good with that. I have a course called Standing Strong in the Storm, and it is all about coming close to these limiting perspectives and anchored traumatic beliefs and ways of dissolving them. So there is a place for that. However, I would say that my 
my strength in my service is that, you know what, the more you get intoxicated with the beloved, these things start to become lighter. Right. Right. They don't draw us so strongly. They don't influence us so strongly. And then it becomes easier to shift in relation to them. So I'm with that first and foremost. So that's why I think the daily practice can be such a fertile ground for that to happen. Oh, I love that. I, and I definitely agree that um, some sort of practice that's uh, uh, silence and si- connecting to source is uh, source, God. Um, I love that you call it the beloved. I love that. <laughs> yes. So, so I have a question, Kimberly, about um, global consciousness, because I know you're highly sensitive and you can feel the the fear virus is still very strong right now. Um, do you have any uh, suggestions for us on, because you're navigating in a courageous, fearless way through all of this you're traveling you're doing you're publishing books you're gonna i think you have a film coming up i mean you're 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 going full steam no matter what the global consciousness is doing but um i i would love the insights on how more people could do that um i know the uh, daily practice will get you centered and validate your um connection to who you really are but is there anything else like, um, like I, um, I notice as an empath, I wear um, pyrite a lot to try to shield. I, I, I um, definitely did several shows this past weekend and I had to really work on myself. So, so do you have a suggestion about that? Sure. Yeah. And, and I, I love all of these tools and I am, so highly empathic. My, my learning of being an empath came uh, when I was 20 uh, and I hadn't realized through my years from one year old to 20, how absorbing, how penetrating. I had identified myself as being one in compassion, but I was discovering I was being, my mind and heart and that were beginning to have thoughts that weren't my own. <laughs> 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 and, and and deep, deep feelings that weren't even my own. So there are many, 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 many ways to work with this, many. Um, I have found for myself what has been the most powerful way is strengthening the, the capacity for the essential, I'll say divine light, that I am strengthening it, that it magnifies through my cells out into my subtle energy. And there are many tools with that. Uh, I, I teach a number of subtle energy techniques that work with that. So for instance, there are great stories in Taoism. And I remember I was reading this one story, I think it's fourth uncle on the mountain, I think. And it tells the story of this Taoist nun who there were raging wars. I don't know what country it was in, but it was somewhere, I don't know, Indonesia or Vietnam or Korea, somewhere. I, I'm not sure, but somewhere over in that region of the world. And with these wars, she came out onto a cliff when, when aggressive military was coming in the direction of where she and, and her colleagues were. And she came out her very presence ameliorated the aggression. Wow. It ameliorated and it dispersed it and they did not move forward. Now that's miraculous, right? And we're not all called to that level, but those are where most of my practices center is that is within us. That's possible for everyone. And we can cultivate that integrity of presence so that the light that we are, what doesn't resonate with that does not come any closer. Ah. One tool I like that I got turned on to years ago is a harmonic shield put out by Mashur Anam. Uh I love him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I love his holographic tools. Mm -hmm. Those operate on that principle. Mm -hmm. Yes. Reset the energetic signature so that we are more aligned with our divinity. And then it's less likely we are going to be resonating with the energy that's not our energy. Because when we're empathic, we begin resonating. My weak point was being compassionate. My weak point where my, my collective conscious beliefs that to be compassionate is to go to the dregs. Yeah. What, what I, what I was finding is I, um, someone had a lot of trauma they were processing and I, I started out as a holding space, but then somehow there were triggers or hooks into my, my experience that, started the the trauma wheel going so so i was asked to do stuff after this event and i was like nope i gotta go work on myself i'm not gonna pretend it isn't there i i went straight and and cleared it but um but it's interesting because there's so many people <clears throat> that are their their trauma um, wounds are showing up right now yeah. And, um, and which is good. It, the, and, and actually that was a gift to me that I still had some little hooks to, um, uh, to clear too. So, yeah, I think everything's for you. It just may not feel good. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you brought up something that's, that's a tricky navigation because even, even as we grow in wholeness, even as we grow in that, we'll find at unexpected times is like, because, because we're permeable as wholeness. When we're whole, we're vulnerable. We're undefended because that's the greatest strength. That's the greatest freedom. So inevitably sometimes, you know, things, things happen, things happen. And, and I am colleagues with a lot of different spiritual leaders and teachers and they they are on the path of constantly growing and processing when projection happens or when um, yeah. when parts of themselves uh, because they're open get are influenced. But I think one of the the big stopping short that happens with this is that if we develop a culture that has a victim stance around empathy, we, we weaken ourselves. So yes, being permeable leaves us open and a lot happens, a lot happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there, I know there was a movement, especially, gosh, about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, there was a lot of like, you know, um, having sessions done where you're cutting cords and you're de-hooking and like that. And it's naming elements that happen. But it also did perpetuate a sense of a, a certain amount of victim like well i'm an empath and therefore yeah. i'm going to be hit by everything right right and and there there is a co-creative element to being an empath so the path of being so empathic gives us an opportunity to step into what's my power here what's my divine power here and as we step into that responsibility with gentleness and compassion, we discover that we have beliefs like my belief of being compassionate led me into dark places. Well, that was my belief. That was my belief that I was being of service. That was my unconscious orientation. Yep. As I healed that and have continued to heal that, those exchanges don't happen anymore. And my service, I can still remain very empathic, but my service remains a bit strong and free. So we have beliefs that set us up for, for some of this, these painful moments too. Well, it, it kind of feels like it's a test. Like you say you do things or can do things, and then it's like, aha, you... Well, let's test that out. <laughs> so that that's all. But but I, I I do think we're in a period now where the opportunity to expand. There's um, the teachings that you have that are online, the books that you've written, the um, courses you're going to be doing, other things coming up that that allow people to um, get a, a 
resonate with that beautiful love that you share and and remember who yes. they are. Yes. And I love that you put it perfectly right. Remember who we are. Remember who we are. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> you want to read a poem from your book or or um, if there was anything else, I, I don't know. Um, I, you can take this any way you want. It's your your platform here. You are awesome. I let me let me see what poem is. Uh, and while she's looking this up, I I really want to brag on um, Kimberly's cooking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I what she asked, what she asked when you go to with the Christmas party was two savory things and one sweet. And so with the ingredients of everyone that's coming to the party, she she's getting this information and then using it in the food. So, yeah. So cool. What gave you that idea to do that? That's, you know, um, and I've been doing it for years. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was just out of nowhere. Uh, I've always taken opportunities to cook for people. I love it. Having dinner parties in Florida before I moved here. And then I was like, well, how could I do it in a way that lets people be a part of it that makes their heart happy? And asking people for like, like a, part of my motive was that in the holidays, we overextend, many people overextend. You know, we make all these commitments and then we have all these rituals and all these, yeah. and, you know, you're working till two in the morning to get something ready for that dinner and hosting here. And that, and I wanted something to create something where people could just come. And then secondarily, I wanted them to be able to have the experience of like, maybe they love cardamom and no dinner party they go to has cardamom <laughs> when they host they're traditional people. Maybe nobody likes that. Maybe everybody only likes the sweet potato casserole with all the brown sugar. That, like yeah. you know, we have these setups, and I thought, well, what if there's ingredients people love that they never get to experience? Perfect, perfect. Yeah. So it's kind of like it was me dreaming into what would make people I love happy, yeah. and then created it. <laughs> It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 But I'm amazed that you can make it work. Oh, I know. Last year was 108 unique ingredients <laughs> and more than 50 dishes. Oh, my God. That's wow. and you, know, you know, it makes me think of Kathy, because I know you could sing this with all that you do in the world. It always reminds me of that, that commercial. I can bring home the bacon. <laughs> Fry it up in a pan. <laughs> uh, see that we both grew up in Ohio too, so we got that Midwestern thing. Oh it's gosh, true. yeah, but it's amazing, and the food's beautiful. It's not just that it you can feel the love in it. So yes, it's, it's so much love, and it lets me do something that makes me happy too. Yeah, so it's win-win. Okay, so back I'm to poem. poem, but this book, Miracles in the Naked Light. Uh, I know Kathy will put the link. You can find it on Amazon and you can get it in print, ebook, or audio. And I know I have a little bit of a cold now, but my publisher had me record it in studio, in studio. So you get my voice. And at moments where there's chanting, you get the chants in it being chanted cool. as we've done it. So that's cool. And Beloved Found, you probably want to go to my website for all of these things because they link through. But Beloved Found is some of my poetry. It's 95 pages of poetry, and it's some of it. And what's unique about this poetry book is it it's the texture and experience of many different moments with the divine, within and without. So the poetry is not one step away from that intimacy it is only that intimacy so i think that you could find a home in those poems because they hit upon every human yearning joy and sorrow despair and longing fulfillment ecstasy emptiness they hit upon all of it so there were two poems that drew me 
uh, and Kathy, I'm going to ask you to make the call. One is titled Canvas of the Eternal Heart. Oh. And one is called Mary Breathes. Oh, Canvas of the Eternal Heart. Okay, great. Wrap your fingers around the rim of your heart. Pounding, pounding, pounding. It is the only way to feel the exultant throb that edges our toes to the cliff. It is the only way to jump, to exhale descent into the Kali mystery. Why keeps dripping down our chins, but the eternal heart is beating, beating, beating. Reminding you, me, us, friends, that we are too far gone. Freedom crests the curling waves below, steadily reaching its fingers to grab us and take us high, high, so high, into the erotic embrace of the one beauty. Wow. 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 <laughs> so, so our auric vibes said very nice. She loved oh, that. Thank and you. Joanne Palladino said beautiful being. I feel much love woven in through her words. Thank so, you. And then there's other people. Um, Police said, yay, Kimberly and Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a party going on there, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and Bonnie said, hi, ladies. But um, yeah, that was beautiful. I'm so glad I picked that one. Me too. Yeah, yeah. So Kimberly, what, um, <coughs> what is your biggest wish for this audience um, as far as um your connection with them or the the a lot of these people are small business owners that are servant leaders that they um are very loving and care for their their employees and their um customers but they may not always um have the the time and resources to find people like you to work with what um so they're they they're not burned out because they're passionate about what they're doing, but they may not get to work on their self love and uh, self expression. Do you have any suggestions for them during this time? Because it, it's a time of change. It's not going to slow down. I don't think. Right. Right. <sighs> There is a great, uh, a great passage in the Hebrew scriptures. It's a story of Elijah. And as a scholastic and a mystic, we don't really know if Elijah lived, like if it was a physical person that lived. Uh, the, the council is out on that. But this individual Elijah is a perfect setup for our call as mystics of servant leaders, mm -hmm. um, channels for the divine. And towards the end of his life, he goes, he does these great miracles and he ends up not create, not having the impact that he had hoped with the Israelites experiencing God. And he gave his whole heart and his whole self. And he ends up being pursued by a queen that wants to kill him. And in that language, God, the God language, God comes to Elijah and says, go to the cave on Mount Carmel because I'm going to pass by. Oh. And Elijah goes to the cave and stays in the back of the cave. And I think if I would encourage us as servant leaders, let's stay in the back of the cave. 
Let's move, let's move to the in, inner, inner resources that are there within us. And let's be attentive and vigilant. Because as Elijah seated at the back of the cave, an earthquake went by, and he was so aware and awake, he knew God wasn't in the earthquake. Stimulation on the outside. And a big fire went by, a column of fire, and Elijah knew that God wasn't in the fire. Knew it wasn't in the fire. Illusory desires. All the collective systems breaking down. And then a wind went by, and Elijah knew that in the dramatic wind that went by, God wasn't there. And then the, it's, the scripture says, in the tiniest whisper of breezes, there was a voice that moved by, and Elijah heard. You are capable of hearing that voice. Yeah. I came to the face then, came to the opening, and saw the divine. That whisper is going on all the time within you. And I would encourage you to, to care about drawing close to that whisper. And on the practical end, connect with me. What I have to offer, how I go about it, is always reasonably priced. And right. is always fittable and manageable within your big lifestyle that you've got. Beautiful. Let's draw close. <laughs> yes. Well, that's what I, I know that you are um a, an advocate for the love that is here to be actualized and utilized um that we we've been sort of in a in a um cloud of of uh not it, it's just a cultural change where i i a lot of times i call this where getting out of the dark ages and going to the Renaissance and the Renaissance is where we all reconnect to who we really are and the capacity to co-create with the universe and the divine is the way to change everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I have no doubt that everyone's on, on this call knows this. Yes. Knows it in their unique path and way. Yeah. Yes. And we, we can we can really draw close to become a light-filled community uh even more around this, right? And there's strength in numbers. Well, it, it's the numbers, but it's also the non-judgment of yourself or anyone else as you're watching, because we all that that term namaste, the oneness um of uh, the divinity in me sees the divinity in you and recognize it. If the more that we get to that, then it's playtime because the divinity is like, oh, cool. You see it that way. Well, let's see how we can co-create something with that. Right. Rather mm -hmm. than the uh, hierarchy and the someone else decides for you and all of that, which, um, you know, you, we have kind of a rebel side of us. That, that doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. Well, we can be we can be rebels for pioneering new states of consciousness. Right. 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 We're forming the new paradigm, is how I look at it. We are the evolution. Mm -hmm. As um, one of the great SSE gatherings had this wonderful physicist from DC in once a couple years ago. Uh-huh. And he proved to us scientifically how we're a scale expanding universe or cosmos a scale expanding that means we are part of the expansion right. so the more we give our yes the more we do the descent into the kali mystery the more we do that the more we are the fiber of the change yes it's perfect the the hope is that with all the technology changes and the um capacity for us to um be more connected in every way that instead of it creating a division, it'll create a unification because um, we all, our human desires are all so similar and, and we've only focused on how they're different and that that's changing. I think it's changing now. Don't you? Um, I'm not good with those big statements. Oh, okay. I can give, I can give some big statements. My belief is 
consciousness will be all in all. It's inevitable that all form will eventually be the awakened consciousness. Beautiful. I can say that. Uh, I'm an optimist. So I see that all the destruction that's happening is the great potential for more awakening. I do see the same patterns of fear happening in even grander scales. So my counsel is kind of out and I don't have the intuitive. Uh I haven't been given the intuitive insight like a prophet to say, you know, in 2050, we are going (laughs) to, I I just don't have that. But I do believe in the end, whatever this end is, that consciousness will come to the fulfillment as form, period. So, so yes, that way I do see it happening. (laughs) Yes. Well, I I may have stumbled on my words um, saying that, but I definitely agree. I definitely agree that um, we're going to a renaissance where, um, to me, since I studied art history, that that's a celebration. <laughs> so, um, Kimberly, we're we're at the end. We'll have to do this again, which we will. We will. I love being with you. So, um, can we want to make sure that you share the best way to get rid, get a hold of you? Do you and want to put it in comments? Or? Oh no, I already have. I put your website, but I wanted you to speak it for the people that are on radio on podcast. Wonderful. Yeah, that's the best way. And if you are are a practitioner in that, I know Kathy and I are going to revisit it, but I have a big summit coming up that I've also formed to be an international networking opportunity to create new forms of collaboration. So take a look at that as well as an ancillary opportunity to be connected in the fiber of creation with the great things you're doing. Great. So, and again, that's www.kimberlybraun, and it's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-B-R-A-U-N.com. So I want to make sure everybody has uh, access to you. And this is just the beginning, um, you guys, that you'll be so glad you found Kimberly's work. Thank so you. thank you, dear. Thank you, dear. I'll see you yeah. soon. I'll Look see you forward. 16th and the 17th, I think. Yay. I'm looking forward. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Signing off for now. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everyone.